the scope of the issue and the, what the needs in terms of like the attention and the the quickness to action are real and also I think you're right like the the cost if we allow the pace of capitalism to dictate our response to capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy you know and imprisonment you know all of the ills that do in some ways require this urgent attention and urgent response if we allow them to dictate our pace like they will you know eat us alive they will destroy mm -hmm. our relationships with one another and they will win Citizen Podcast. Welcome to Citizen Podcast. I'm Carrie Kelly. We often talk on this podcast about how relationship is fundamental to transformative change work. Whether we're exploring how to work across lines of difference or how to reach across the political aisle, or how to build a culture of care that takes care of everyone. While our next guest offers a path of depth and hope and shows us the importance of radical relationship as we navigate an unjust world and work towards collective well-being. Kate Johnson is a Buddhist meditation teacher and author of the book, Radical Friendship, which makes a case for friendship as a radical practice of love, courage, and trust and a path that paves the way for profound social change. Relationship as spiritual practice is often a mirror for what we cannot see or know in isolation. Through each other, deeper truths are revealed that make growth possible. You'll hear Kate and I talk about navigating our own messy experience of conflict and repair, and what it is to find each other again after all these years and practice relationship in a different way. This conversation was deep and vulnerable and shows us what is possible when we lean into change one relationship at a time. Check it out. So happy to be in conversation with you, Kate. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, so much has changed since I saw you last. For example, you're a mother now. Yeah. <laughs> so what is that like? Oh my goodness. Um, it is a joy in my life um, to be a mom. I. Um, <laughs> it's really big. It feels hard to to describe. Yeah. Um, I'll say that my days are radically different than they were before I had my kid. And I feel like the best way to describe it, what it's like is just to give you like a snapshot of what my morning looks like now, Love because it. earlier on my morning was, you know, I would wake up, try to wake up, you know, a little bit before my partner come downstairs, um, you know, make some tea, go up to my studio, um, do chanting, do some meditation, get out my journal, um, set aside some you know notes for the day like it was a really quiet kind of morning um now morning begins uh at a time I don't usually know in advance when it's gonna start and um my kid um is seven months old yesterday uh so she just oh um she's still waking up oh quite a bit through the night um and when she wakes up in the morning um I feed her, I bring her into bed, 
um, she does this like amazing stretching routine. <laughs> She's always done since she was a kid. So it's like this like arms and legs and she like giggles and she twists and turns. She's super mobile right now. Um, and so we, I, my Sunday morning's playing with her. Um, and mm-hmm. I'll go down, um, make some tea for myself. Like right now I can put her on the floor and she can bang on pots and pans, uh, while I kind of get my breakfast and stuff together. And then we chant together in the morning. Um, so we do the, um, we do the refuge chant, the salutation of the triple gem. We do the, um, Karni Metasutta and Pali. Ah. Uh, and she loves to chant. Uh, so sometimes she likes to hang out next to me and feel my, the vibrations. Sometimes she likes to play around the floor. Love um, it. yeah, I mean, I was a stepmom before, but having a little old baby is something totally different. And I feel like it's, it's, um, like unexpected joy, um, simple pleasure. It's, um, deep fatigue, <laughs> And, um, and it's also like new relationship with my gender, a new relationship with my body. So it's been all the things. Um, I feel like I should have been taking better notes during this time. Like I should have been journaling cause there's a lot to say. Um, yeah, but, uh, that's, that's just a little snapshot of how it is. We're going to talk a lot about your, your book, which is called Radical Friendship, but I would imagine, and I, I don't have children, so I don't know this, and I'm always curious about this when I speak to parents, I would imagine your understanding of relationship has changed. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it changed. I wrote about it a little in the book. It changed a, a bit, um, you know, having uh, another child in my life who came in when I was seven with my partner. Um, and when I was seven, when she was seven, <laughs> <laughs> this is the sleep that talking. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And I feel like it has, um, I mean, one thing I'll say about that is that I had no idea that I was becoming a parent when, uh, I moved in with him and his seven-year-old daughter. I thought that he was going to be the parent and I was going to be this kind of person that was just around kind of, (laughs) she would go to him for all the things and I would just kind of be there. Sometimes we would hang out and watch a movie or something. Like that's what I thought was happening. And it took me about a year to catch on to the, the, the fact that I was becoming her parent. And part of that was me. And part of that was that in our society, we don't even have a rite of passage for people who become parents in ways other than biologically. Um, And there's lots of people who even aside from parenting roles care for deeply for children and are committed to them. Um, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of people talking about how important it is for them to be an auntie or to be a teacher yeah. or to be yeah. a neighbor lady, you know, <laughs> like they, and, um, uh, yeah, so I didn't, that was part of what I didn't understand. It was part of why it took me a while to kind of land in that role. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah. And then this is kind of like a new, a new landing. Um, and for this, I did have you know, time to kind of sit with the fact that this was part of a new, a new era that was coming, you know, it was, um, evident physically. So it, you know, it was, that was part of the preparation. And then, um, and then there were like several kind of celebrations and rites of passage that I got to participate in, um, to mark that transition. Um, but I think this is something I'm still working out. I mean, I told you a little bit about like the chanting, no silent meditation situation right now, which is how my practice is. And part of why I'm really like, wow, happy to my, you know, grateful to my former self who wrote this book because, um, 
I don't have, I'm the monastic style practice that I was doing before isn't really available to me in this moment. Um, I know that it will be again someday, but the option to practice a deep spiritual path in relationship is like what I, what I have access to right now. Um, and that has to do with, you know, my relationship with time and patience and ability to listen mm. and willingness to extend myself beyond what I think I'm, you know, capable of energetically or emotionally. And, um, and, uh, and, and part of what's amazing about it is that it feels like totally revolutionary and, um, unique and special and this amazing thing. And also it feels completely ordinary, um, you know, the same thing everybody's been doing around me and doing before me for a long time and kind of like big deal, no big deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, My, mine and ours. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's kind of how it is now. I'm glad you asked. I love that. I, I, I feel like it's something that's so big in my mind and in my life. And um, I didn't write a book about parenting, but um, it certainly, um, the way that I show up in relationship now is informed by, by being a parent. Um, well, you wrote a book about, <laughs> and your friendships have changed. Yeah. Um, you wrote this book about relationship and I want to, I want to ask you about your friendships in a minute. Cause I had, I had a radical um, reckoning, I want to say when mm-hmm. reading your book about my friendships. Um, but what I was going to say about relationship and I, I definitely got this message from your book, and I've also learned this the hard way, is that, you know, relationships have probably been the deepest spiritual practice I've had in my mm-hmm. life. Like, you know, no matter like how much yoga I did and how much meditation I like I've done a lot of things and, and nothing has come close to the wisdom and learning, the opportunity to learn and to love and to be vulnerable and to fuck up. <laughs> And to, you know, and to repair and, um, and to connect then relationships like that Mm -hmm. to me has been the deepest mirror. So I just, I'm so grateful that you wrote about that particular thing in, in this book. And I, I wanted to know like what inspired you to write about it. Mm. Well, um, it was not because I was an expert. (laughs) I can say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I... I guess I wanted to write it for a couple of reasons. One was um, just the, the most direct one. I was giving a talk at a conference and um, I was asked to expand upon the talk in a book. And um, the topic of the talk wasn't something that I felt like I had much more to say. It was kind of a call to action. Like we should use our spiritual practice to look at our you know, mind and heart and rid ourselves yeah. of implicit bias. And that's possible for us as meditators. And, um, and so there wasn't a whole, a whole lot more I had to say about that, but I thought um, that that's an, a difficult task. It's an annoying task. It's a, you know, a task that could bring us a lot of um, mm-hmm. like pain and shame potentially. Um, mm-hmm. The one, you know, the, the task of um, examining our own reactivity, our bodies, minds, and hearts as they are in relationship with another human being and to really, um, like ask ourselves on a moment to moment way, are we showing up in alignment with our values mm-hmm. and um, to celebrate the, the ways in which we are, you know, or the ways in which yeah. we're trying, but then also to be honest about the ways in which we're not. And so I thought like, why would anybody want to do this? You know, <laughs> Truly. So and, and it's my, hard. I feel like my publisher asked me that several times while I was writing books. She's like, doesn't this, 
this seems like really hard, you know, why would I want to do this? But I thought that, well, for friendship, I think we would, you know, for, for a real diehard friend or for the possibility right. of having um, a friendship that is truly um, like intimate and connected and liberated, um, that that possibility might be a reason why people would be willing to do that hard work of looking at their, their, their minds and hearts in this kind of granular way and, and actions. So, um, that's, that's a big part of why I wrote it. Yes. You, um, I want to read, um, uh, uh, what you say in the book about radical friendship. Um, you said by radical friendship, I mean the kind of friendship that has the potential to heal us at the very ground of our being. Wounds from when we were young, maybe even wounds from before we were born. The kind of friendship that forges bonds so strong that systems of oppression can't break them. The kind of friendship that helps us gather enough power and love that we can profoundly change the world. And reading that um, made me reflect really critically about the friendships in my life and and not just like how people were showing up for me but like who I was willing to throw down for mm-hmm. you just said that before um we have this joke in LA like who are you willing to drive the 405 for <laughs> you know like I don't even know what that traffic, means the, 405 is- the traffic is so bad here that it's really hard to get around so like oh, you sure. know you have to really love someone to like get stuck in LA traffic for them kind of thing uh-huh, uh-huh. um but um and that's a very like surface example of what I mean, but, um, I mean, but, it, it's um, a very everyday example of, you know, yeah. I've, I've been to LA and had been, been on the, like, you know, the East side, have a friend on West side, be like, you know, <laughs> next time <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? I'm in your city, you know? That's right. No, it's a big, it's yeah. a really big <laughs> city, but, um, but it made me sort of take inventory of like which relationships, which friendships I have um, can survive, right, in the face of white supremacy, in the face of inequality, in the face of oppression, and which ones haven't. Um, and how doing this work, and I feel like your book spoke so beautifully to this, how doing this work demanded a level of discernment from me um, in my relationships and maybe boundaries. Yes. Also, like, like, what does it look like to be in relationship with boundaries? Um, and so I'm just curious, like, is, is that what you want for people to do when they read this book? Like, do you want people to be like thinking about like, how do I, how do I be in relationship with integrity? How do I be in relationship um, with skill and courage? How do I have boundaries in relationship? Like, what is, what do you think is the the inquiry that you want people to take from, from this book? Mm. I think you know, part of what I'd love for people to, to take or explore is a possibility of, of friendship being a relationship that is um, like a, of high spiritual value, you know, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, you know, in a world where I think the primary relationships were, um, I guess, culturally tend to focus on our, you know, immediate family relationships and, um, like romantic partnership, work relationships for sure. Um, and then friendship is kind of this like add on, like, you know, when you have time in your spare time kind of thing. Um, and so, 
that's part of it is I want, I want there to be a consideration of the possibility of elevating the level of um, Mm -hmm. value that we place on friendship. And also to consider the ways in which we might bring the qualities of friendship into other kinds of relationships where they're appropriate, you know, not that we have to be like buddy, buddy with everybody. And that's part of what I'm, I'm hoping to explore in this text is that friendship doesn't necessarily mean, you know, certainly being kind, but it's not being nice or being polite or like, um, and and when you mention boundaries, I think it's so important because it's not, um, it's also not showing up for another person, no matter what, all the time to your own detriment, you know, and like that, that's, that, you know, that, that would be required in order to have a friend um, yeah. or to be a true friend. But it's like, um, you know, this dynamic process of inquiry and investigation that illuminates um, both where we have developed these like beautiful qualities of heart and mind, like um generosity and like wise effort and like endurance and like patience mm-hmm. um and also reveals the places where we have some room to grow right <laughs> and that um that it might be possible to when we when those when those moments come up where where those growing edges are revealed that rather than you know, sometimes relationships do need to end, right? And and sometimes, you know, like every like the Buddha taught, you know, every um, aspect of this phenomenal world has a birth, aging, and death process and, and friendships yeah, are no different. I loved that but, part. But that the death doesn't have to be when we encounter hardship with one another and that it might be possible to lean into some of these frameworks or teachings or practices in order to meet those moments and to continue to grow, you know, individually and also together, you know, together if, if that's, if the time is right, if we're lucky, you know. I loved, I loved what you said about, I reflected a lot about the aging part, you know, mm-hmm. and about how, how relationships change as we change, you know, um, and, and to your point, like, as I've become more of myself and, um, you know, in all of the ways, um, some relationships haven't grown with me mm-hmm. and how I've had to, um, I've had to let them die and then grieve them, mm-hmm. you know, um, and how some relationships were born in those moments. Yeah. When the people that I needed to show up that could meet me where I am were just like, just like miraculously there, you know, like that random person who was like exactly where you needed them to be in the right moment to say the yeah. exact right thing. And then you just drop in so deep right away. Um, and so it doesn't matter how long you've known them, right? Or, or what you have in common even. Yeah. It's just like a, it's like a, you know, a divine moment of connection, yeah, I mean, I think that's totally possible. And you know, as you as you speak about it, I'm thinking, you know, to to be able to have that does require a certain amount of presence all on its own. Because I think the ability to actually, you know, one of my my favorite definitions of mindfulness is the ability to know what's happening when it's happening. And um, and I relate to that so much because I I identify as a slow processor. Like sometimes it takes me months or years to know what had happened. You know, <laughs> when but I'm working on it with my practice and um. And I think the ability to know what's happening in a moment of a friendship aging or dying and to say, oh, wow, this is, mm-hmm. this is what's happening now. And um, it may not be, you know, in some, in some cases there are clear boundary violations, instances of harm that cannot be forgiven or cannot be forgiven right away. Um, and sometimes it's, as you say, like the, 
we can't grow with each other for a variety of reasons that are just how life is. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to be present and enough to say, oh, this is this relationship, this is this relationship's aging or dying process, or, or that it's just, mm-hmm. it's changing right now. Mm-hmm. And um, that that is, it may not be anyone's fault and it may be just the life cycle of this relationship mm-hmm. and that that's, that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. And that we can still, you know, love and honor that and bow to that relationship and what it's given us without needing it to, without needing to justify the, without needing the relationship lasting forever to continuously justify the existence of the relationship and the mm. value of it, you know? Ooh, I feel like you're describing my divorce. <laughs> 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 I'm like, but like that, I really appreciate you saying that and the, and the, and the wisdom and the mindfulness to know when a relationship has run its course, because uh-huh. I, there was so much suffering for both of us in the clinging or the trying to fix it or the trying to make it right or the trying to like force the other person to be what you wanted them to be, even yeah, though that's clearly yeah. what they weren't. And, and when we surrendered, it was like our relationship shifted. Mm. Would you say you're friends now? Yeah. It took a moment. Um, for us to get there for sure, there was a lot of pain and a, yeah. and harm and healing that had to be done. So time mattered in that. But yeah. um, but we, like, respect each other. We admire each other. We root for each other. We're both in yeah. different relationships. So it's, like, it's so – I mean, it's, like, nothing like I would have ever imagined. Um, but it, it, it changed, you know. Yeah. And, and in some ways, it was reborn in the death of, like, mm-hmm. one formation of the relationship into another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which I think can happen too, right? Like the just to acknowledge together we have this transition to make and man, you know, I think with a with a formal contract like like a marriage, it you have a contract from which to renegotiate, you know? I think friendships can be so hard because it's like, well, what are the terms here? Like what mm, did we agree to? Yeah. What are we committed to here? And um and we don't always have those conversations with with friends, but I think we could. I think we live in a time where we could. Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things that's really cool about living in this particular time is like, you know, even in the past few years, I feel like the um, acknowledgement of the importance of friendship and also the um, the that there are needs that we have within friendship that can be made explicit with one another, um, and that 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 could be a thing. That could be a thing that we do. I mean, I think that that is, that is the proposition of Kalyana Mita of spiritual friendship. Um, yes. and I feel like there, that is, um, that, that, that kind of conversation is one that's available to us. And then having had that, um, we kind of have a ground for, mm-hmm. you know, future conversations of like, well, where do we need to, to refresh or recommit or shift, you know, what, what our relationship is here in an intentional way. Um, and in the same way, you know, I really appreciate you talking about the, the ability to um, discover or really to, to see and sense when a new friendship is emerging and mm-hmm. to embrace that moment. And I think as adults, like, I mean, this book is not about how to make, make and find friends explicitly. <laughs> although I think that there are some, some, you know, things of value here to be said and like, you know, what, what it is to step into risk and vulnerability and just let yeah. our, our wish to make friends be known. I mean, I think that's, that's a part of it too, is just to, yeah be able to say, Hey, I like, I like you. I think you're cool. Like, do you want to talk more? (laughs) No, but, um, you know, those kinds of connections can happen, um, you know, all the time. And yes, we may not be able to invest in depth relationships with every single person we have a spark with in our life. And 
um, wouldn't it be great if, you know, we felt the spark, if there was, um, if we, I mean, I think this is again, where mindfulness comes in to, if we're able to, um, know that there's a spark when there is one and appreciate it, whether or not we use that as a jumping off point into this like new relationship with this individual, like, can we just, um, be with and see and sense and enjoy that moment of connection and know that that's possible as opposed to the mentality of like, no new friends, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or old friends or only hold on to old friends. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. the ones we inherited right in school or in college. And mm-hmm. you and made, those you are made the real me, ones. yeah, you made me think a lot about like, it was sort of reminded me of like inherited family and chosen family mm-hmm. and how as we get older and I, the way that I was thinking about your book is like, it's like a PhD in like the practice of friendship, right? <laughs> because you're calling people to do friendship in a different way. Um, and to not, you know, to not, um, like, how friendship isn't because you were just thrown into a room together or because you went to school together or, you know what I mean, or because you had a, a, a shared circumstance, although often friendships can emerge from that, that are beautiful mm-hmm. and deep and radical. But that um, friendships can be really intentional. It's funny because I loved what you were describing around the spark because some of my some of my deepest friendships came out of, like, a really vulnerable moment where I met someone and I really liked them. And I kind of, like, did a blind date thing where I was like, would you like to go out with me, you know? <laughs> and and it was, like, just a vulnerable was- leap of my heart, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and how I've saved some um, – and how I've saved some – friendships by having boundaries um and almost like redirecting or re I don't know if that's like a recalibration of a friendship you know what I mean Mm -hmm. around what matters and what I needed and what they needed and so I'd love like if you could talk a little bit more about like what you've learned especially in the writing of this book about boundaries and the role of boundaries in maintaining and growing radical friendship yeah well I think the the heart quality that I've leaned into most often when considering, you know, either setting and communicating my own boundaries or receiving someone else's boundaries is the heart quality of equanimity. Mm. And um, I talk about this a little kind of towards the end of the book that um, the quality is um, the Pali word is upeka. It, it means something like literally to look over as if from a mountain, but it's mm-hmm. the kind of love that is able to be in touch with the truth of change. Like we just talked about, you know, the kind of birth, aging and dying process is the kind of love that is able to um, be in touch with the truth that we um, sometimes we don't get what we want. Sometimes we don't want what we have, you know, um, that we're not in control ultimately of how, even how we feel, let alone how someone else experiences us or the world and the heart that is able to be in in touch with all these truths and to love anyway, Mm. be steady in that love. And so part of that is the, um, kind of, uh, um, this looking over as being able to take this, this wide view of, um, our own life and of our collective life, um, and the the stability of that heart uh, quality is comes from that that spaciousness. Mm. Um, and so I bring this up with relationship to boundary because um, I know that in my friendships, when I express a, express a boundary, um, which can be you know 
often an indicative of change. Like I've changed and something that was okay is now not okay or something that I liked before I don't like anymore. Or, you know, like, and so I'm communicating. So, you know, this is the truth of impermanence. Something has shifted for me yeah. um, or uh, something has shifted in their behavior. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving feedback on that, uh, that part of what's, um, what it brings me into is the sense of risk of losing the relationship and the lack of ability to control how that person receives me. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's great when a person, you know, my experience mostly with boundaries is that it takes a little time. Like it's like, <laughs> there's like yeah. the expressing the boundary. And then usually there needs to be a little pause or gap for, for, for myself or for the other person to really like integrate and digest what's being, what's being asked for and what's being offered. Um, and that my first, um, my first, well, just to kind of focus on what it is, if I'm expressing a boundary, um, my my wish is for it to be like, sure, no problem, let's do this right away. Um, and oftentimes it means actually just allowing the person the dignity of their process with what I've shared with them and their um, honoring their um, like responsibility to themselves and their right to say like, yes, this will work for me or not. Um, and kind of being being loving with them, even in a moment where I know that I can't control how they're going to how they're going to respond mm-hmm. to me. And I can't control whether or not they're going to want to be in relationship with me anymore. Um, I think when it comes to, you know, being on the other side of things and like receiving, you know, someone's like the, the, um, the, uh, someone's statement of boundary. Um, it's hard for me, you know, it is hard for me. I feel like I, I, part of the reason why it's hard for me to state boundaries is because it's hard for me to receive them too. I feel that moment of like, Oh, like, it can bring up shame. Like, oh my gosh, I've been doing something wrong. It can bring up, um, this feeling of like, oh, I like the way it was before. I don't, I don't want to change. We're stepping into this unknown territory. I'm not sure if I'm going to like it. Um, and so I think for me, um, in that moment of receiving someone else's boundary, um, when I don't like it, my go-to, my my mind often tries to find fault with the way someone's expressed it. (laughs) Like, I'm like, oh, well, they didn't have to say it this way. <laughs> or they, you know, it, it, they use it was, that word. Yeah. Yeah. They were, their, their, their jaw was a little tight. I really didn't like, you know? Um, and so like, um, I'm, I'm searching for the language here. I think it's something, it has something to do with, um, allowing their expression to be their expression. Like, even if it's a little more kind of harsh or aggressive than I would have liked knowing that, um, if we're in a friendship relationship, they're probably doing their best to be real with me and to like express something that's important to them. And so um, I think the equanimity there is like, can I hold in my mind at this moment, the totality of our relationship, even though this part feels really hard and not lose Mm. sight of the the, the, the whole being that is our relationship and the whole being that is this person, even in this moment where they're um they're indicating the need for something to change in a way that I feel uncertain about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's funny because you're making me think about how in those moments I often learn a lot about myself too like my relationship to myself because often if I'm triggered by someone else's boundary or lack thereof it's it has more to do with me and my own relationship mm-hmm. with myself than it does 
with whatever they're doing, right or wrong, and um, and how those moments when we take the leap and um, speak the need or receive another person's need are like magical moments, right? Like like they either right like really beautiful things have come out of moments like that. Oh um, yeah, I think unexpected. For me, sometimes it's just like, oh, it is possible to, like, that's that's possible to do. You know, like, I get triggered when people, I get triggered when people set boundaries around things that I would like to set boundaries around that I have not, you know? like Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh my gosh, how dare you have working hours, you know? That's, like, right. I, that's right. But I also thought it was so- How, you dare, how dare you ask to get paid for something? You know, oh, what? <laughs> But um, <laughs> what you said about like triggered by someone's boundaries, but also triggered by lack of boundaries, I thought was really right on also. Um, well, and it's funny when you were talking about when you're afraid to ask, uh, set boundaries for yourself. I was thinking about how for I have just a like sordid history of never setting boundaries. <laughs> um, and and so um, because I have not set boundaries, what would happen for me to meet my own needs is I would manipulate people mm. or I would try to control what they were doing, right? Because I needed my needs to be met and I would be afraid to ask for my needs because I was afraid of getting a no. Yeah. It is so vulnerable. I mean, I think, you know, we're touching on a couple different areas of vulnerability, that vulnerability of, you know, reaching out and trying to connect with a new friend, but also, yeah, like renegotiating a relationship and through yeah. a, a, an exploration of boundary and, yeah, like the, yeah, that fear of like getting, hearing a no or being rejected or, um, and then what happens next, you know? Yeah, that's it. That to me is where like the relationship gets juicy is like, where do we go from here? And I feel like you write a lot about this in your book when you hit that snag or in those moments of whether it's conflict or change, right? Mm -hmm. Or birth or death or aging, mm -hmm. um, to me, like the pra the practice part, the spiritual part is like where okay, where do we go from here? Yeah. Like what's next? In a moment of like complete uncertainty and I, I wasn't able to control the outcome because you never can, <laughs> even mm -hmm. though way. you wish you could, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I like that you said that this is like the because you know, one of the things that happens in those moments um is yeah, this intensity of presence that is, um, is such a spiritual state. If we're willing, if we're willing to meet it and have the capacity to kind of tolerate that level of right. presence and intensity, right. Which I do think it, I mean, that's a good reason to practice just, you know, anyway, is that when these moments come up, may we have the, the inner capacity and the, the bigness to be actually be able to stay there with them and to, um, not kind of turn away and also not kind of, um, smash through them. Um, yeah. And then in those moments of moving into unknown territory with a friend and, and not knowing what's going to happen next, um, to be able to discover and build it choicefully together in this moment to moment way, I think is this, mm -hmm practice of relational mindfulness you know when we're practicing mindfulness on our own it's like paying attention to what's arising in us you know the the interplay and the cause and effect experience of you know thought and emotion and body sensation and sound you know like when we're kind of 
looking at it within this body, mind, heart system, but then we add another person or group of people, um, you know, we're navigating, we're navigating all of that together and we're shaping, we're shaping what comes next. Actually. I think it's a little Mm -hmm. more engaged and, um, the words come out for me is creative than, than yeah. maybe mindfulness practice is on, on our own, not to, not to knock a silent sitting practices, you know, yeah. bedrock for many years. Right. But, um, there's something that we can do with another person where we can, can shape our relationship and shape our um, connection together. Um, that feels also beautiful and necessary and a part of the spiritual path. Yeah. And I'll just confess, you know, that, you know, I I have definitely tried to like control my spiritual practice. Like like there have been times where like the ritual the you know has been so rigid and like everything had to be a certain way that there wasn't a whole lot of space for me to learn and mm-hmm. observe and listen, right? And and that doesn't exist in relationship. Like relationship just doesn't allow for that, right? Yeah. Like you just can't control all the conditions no matter how much you you want to, or you try. And so I've, I've just like, relationship has really like taken that to a new level for me. And I can see now the ways in which I'll try and manipulate my yoga practice to be what I find comfortable Mm -hmm. or easy or familiar, right? Whereas relationship never gives me that. (laughs) It's always a wild, it's always like a beautiful wild card, you know, with so much to teach me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do know. And I feel like it is um, the word that came up for me as I was listening to you was humility. You know, mm-hmm. that there's something about that um, not being able to control someone else's response or how they move with you in the world, but being that, 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 um, to me feels like a doorway into um, one, the truth that, you know, that control that we, you know, thought we had over our own practice or, you know, our own mind or whatever is always an illusion also, you know, and yeah, then, that's and, right. then, and then um, also that um, like in, in, in the Buddha Dharma, we talk about like ego or, you know, the um, sense of self and part of the, part of what I learned about that, um, self-construct, which we say is not, it's not that it's not real, but it's not, um, what we think it is, you know, that we mm-hmm. think it's this like solid, um, kind of siloed. Yeah. Like, um, and that part of what that, that self-construct thinks it is, is in charge. Um, so whenever we are in circumstances where we realize that we are not controlling experience and that we're not actually in charge of the unfolding of karma in this moment to moment way that, um, that it's an assault on the ego and the ego mm-hmm. doesn't like it, yeah. but that it's also this doorway into, um, a more, you know, truthful and right relationship with even ourself, uh, which is, mm. um, that of being intimately interconnected all the time. Mm -hmm. I want to give a special shout out to our community of supporters on Patreon who are making it possible for us to do this work. 
especially in a moment when we are being called to work harder than ever to expose the inequities in our systems and advocate for the policies that take care of everyone. Citizen Podcast was designed for truth seekers, bridge builders, and emerging activists who are yearning to make a difference. We're not afraid to ask hard questions and have radical dialogue about politics and patriarchy, white supremacy and worthiness, and we're serious about showing up for one another and taking action for the well-being of everyone. But we can't do it alone. And building this community on Patreon is our way of sustaining this work in relationship and in accountability with you. By joining our community for as little as $2 per month, you help us create content and resources that matter to this moment. And you get lots of good stuff from us, like early access to our episodes, live meetups with guests, ally toolkits, and exclusive content. Not only does community support keep us going, but it keeps us accountable and real and pushing the envelope of courageous conversations that are independent, transparent, and authentic. Please join us at patreon.com slash citizen well. You tell this story um, in the book about being in a silent retreat and feeling the need to do it the hard way, which I totally relate to. You said... <laughs> You said, um, turns out I couldn't just put my head down and bulldoze my way to nirvana. Um, and that totally resonates with me because not only have I tried to like bulldoze my way into a lotus pose <laughs> or a backbend, but I've, I've tried to bulldoze my way through activism and social justice work many a time. And in the book, you tell a story about an interaction that you and I had um, uh, around the Fight for 15 campaign where I literally bulldozed my way through that project, right? I prioritized outcomes over people and um, and in the process damaged relationships, one of which was ours. And I, by the way, write about the exact same story <laughs> in my book because it was such a, um, it was such a um, formative moment for me in my own like awakening and learning and and also like humaning like <laughs> fucking up <laughs> fucking up and learning how to like actually um navigate that um and what i learned um in that process is so much of what you talk about in this book you know i you know with distance and teaching and mentorship and coaching um i realized that i was you know I was so much more committed to like outcomes and you mentioned control to like being in control to controlling the conditions and the results right and the and the productivity of people and the winning right the outcomes of activism which is so counter to like why we do activism yeah. um and and how much it cost me right including you know you know how it damaged our relationship um and so I'm just I'm so grateful for for this book, especially in how it pushes us to to um, to lean into the parts where like someone fucks up, someone gets harms harmed, relationships are impacted, and then like, and then what happens next? Like, where do we go from there? Yeah. And so I'd love to like you know um, I'd love to hear from you like that part of like 
where do we go from here when those things happen, when that happened for us? Like, like, cause to me, that's where radical friendship sometimes begins. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think it's amazing that, you know, um, as I was writing this, you know, incident, you were writing this incident somewhere else, you know, from your, your, and we didn't even tell each other about it. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was such a, um, such an impactful moment, such a lightning rod moment. I know for me and my understanding of like how the world works and how I want relationships to work and, um, what some of the patterns that I bring into relationship are, you know, both, um, when entering in and also like when harm happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, what I remember where I went from there, well, let me just say this. I think, um, I'm really glad we're back in relationship now. And I feel like that moment was a huge teacher for me. Um, and the lessons that it has taught me have evolved over time. Mm. I think that the, the earliest on lesson was to be explicit in my agreements with people and mm-hmm. to um, not just blindly trust that every friend that I get introduced to by someone else's friend will necessarily play by the same rules or have the same um, way of approaching relationship and approaching community in, in, in mind. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something that I've learned over and over again in uh, communities that like there sometimes will be, um, I mean, much more so than what happened with you and I, like a, a person who's, you know, seriously and intentionally committing harm over and over again in a community and people will be like, well, how did this person get here? And it's like, oh, well, I thought they were with you. Like, no, I thought they were with you. Like, but you, you brought them to that party. And I just, everyone thought they were cool because they were just here, you know? And, and, and so like, there's a sense of like, well, you know, we actually have to take the time to like, even when there's this excitement of, um, alignment and there's a of the moment need we have to take the time to kind of establish like well who are we to each other and what are commitments and Mm -hmm. you know however it doesn't necessarily need to be a lot of time but but something uh to to really set a foundation Mm -hmm. um and then I and so like that was that was part of it I think as time went on my learning of that moment had to do with learning to trust my own perception of what's happening. I mean, I think part Mm -hmm. of my like delay oftentimes when something's going on, that's not quite right is that I, um, and this is not, this is not disconnected from what it is to have been, um, raised in and swimming in, you know, white supremacy culture Mm -hmm. that like, there's so much self doubt, you know, when in a, in a cultural context that consistently tells us that, what we see happening isn't happening (laughs) that like actually things are okay. And actually it's our fault. And, you know, um, so I think that that Mm. came over time of this understanding of, Oh, I was actually, I was seeing something unfolding and I was perceiving reality clearly, but I doubted my perception so much that I didn't, 
speak up and say anything at the time. And I think that mm-hmm. that third learning also kind of came in around like, use your voice, Kate, <laughs> use your mm-hmm. voice and, um, and just say it. And that it's okay if it's okay if there's a misunderstanding, it's okay if, um, you know, I was wrong. Like I can always, you know, um, like it's okay to check in. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and that, um, I mean, something that I'm still learning is, and I think this is a part of what I was hoping to bring in with the writing as well, that, um, like how, how much grief I have for the times that I have, um, abandoned myself because I prioritize someone else's comfort over my own, um, well-being mm-hmm. and, um, you know, didn't want to upset, didn't want to cause a fuss, didn't want to like offend and therefore like kind of ate the, the mm-hmm. kind of hard parts of the experience. So, um, I mean, for us, I feel like there was this like, you know, real gap in space and time where mm-hmm. like I knew I knew that things were changing for you. I knew that you were in relationship with really good people that I trusted. I knew that you seem to be from your like public facing um, activities, like in a real kind of reckoning with like your, your own social location and positionality as a white woman, you know, from, you know, I don't know exactly your class background, but you know what I mean? Like cis woman who's, um, you know, coming, uh, you know, to support and to lift up, um, activism and social justice, especially when it comes to like, you know, racial justice. Um, and so I thought like, well, and I had a lot to learn (laughs) as you know, I mean, like when I think about how much has, you know, like what I knew then. And I just want to say, Kate, that I actually remember you speaking up. Did I? You did. We had a conversation and I couldn't hear it. You know, and it's funny when you were talking about like, trust your gut. What I was thinking about that I learned in this experience is like, question yourself fully, (laughs) Carrie, because you've been like in, you know, indoctrinated in self-righteousness and arrogance and entitlement and, um, and know-it-allness, right? Um, What did I say? I just remember us having a conversation. I mean, I don't remember a ton of the details of it, but I remember you confronting me um, and, and, and pushing back. I'm glad I did that. (laughs) You did it. And, and, um, and it was, I thought it was like a really good conversation. And I, I remember being super defensive and I had like a whole story about, right. Which is like total white supremacy, um, about like what I was doing and why I was doing and capitalism. I remember being like, really like justifying the, like, but we have to make change, you know? (laughs) Oh, I remember this now. I remember this. (gasps) Oh, Carrie, I remember this. And you gave me the gift of feed. I just want to like name that you spoke up and you gave me the gift of feedback. Like you gave me the gift of like intervening and being like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know what I mean? And, and how, um, I wasn't ready to hear it. And because I just like, wasn't far enough along on like being able to see clearly how compromised I was by whiteness. 
Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and by my like attachment to all of the things that come with white supremacy and capitalism and fuck I had so much to learn in that moment and I learned so much I did if I didn't learn it in that moment Kate like I learned it in the reckoning many months and years afterwards when I got to reflect on how I was wrong like period end of story like I was wrong and um, I caused harm and I and and what I chose to value, right, what I chose to prioritize cost me so much more than what I gained. Um, and and that really I just want to say it really um, helped me recalibrate how I showed up in this work, you know, mm. and it, it it inspired me to like lean back, actually, and and. Um, and go slower and, and you know, I, and um, contract the organization, you know, like, don't mm -hmm. be so fucking ambitious. Don't build mm -hmm. an empire. Just, like, make a contribution. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, I learned a ton from that. And that's why I wrote about it, because you were, you know, whether you intended to or not. And I'm sorry that that happened, because I'm sorry that that had to happen for me to learn, like, um, I don't like learning when other people get impacted and harmed. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want you to know that I'm, I am grateful. Like I deeply appreciate um, the gift that you gave me and, and I'm changed because of it. Well, I, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I am now like, it's kind of filling in the like, the, the, the coffee that we had and the conversation that we had. And I do remember now. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the 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 tough thing is you were not wrong in that situation was urgent and dire and needed a response, you know? I mean, and I think that that is what is so hard about mm -hmm. friendships within like movement relationships when we're working together and we're working for change and we're also trying to be good to one another mm -hmm. is that like the tasks are huge and they seem impossible. We could work endlessly and tirelessly on them and never take breaks. And some of us do, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, and the scope of the issue and the, what the needs in terms of like the attention and the, the quickness to action are real. And also I think you're right. Like the, the cost, if we allow the pace of capitalism to dictate our response to capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy, you know, and imprisonment, you know, all of the ills that do in some ways require this urgent attention and urgent response. If we allow them to dictate our pace, like they will, you know, eat us alive. They will destroy mm -hmm. our relationships with one another and they will win. Mm -hmm. I feel like though, what you're naming feel, feels like it's like the paradox that we're wrestling with right now. And you speak mm -hmm. about this in the beginning of your book when you said, um, we have to stop and feel and not rush into action, right? And I'm just thinking about like the, the, the history of reactionary activism that like I've been a part of, but that also like our culture is caught up in. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, and, and what Bayo Akomalafe says when he says these times are urgent, we must slow down. Mm. I haven't heard that. Um, that is, oh, yeah, is I that, that deep? In my soul. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm, you know, I, I don't know the answer to this question, but I feel like you're naming it, which is like, how do we balance that, right? How do we balance acknowledging and confronting and like taking on the enormous 
and urgent and critical and dire issues of this moment and like not dissociating, you know, slowing down enough to feel and be present with like centering relationship and people's lives and experiences mm -hmm. above all things. Like how do we, like how do we find that balance? Yeah, it's the, the balance is dynamic. No, it is. Yeah. It is always um, shifting, and that's part of why it's good that we have this capacity to be awake. You know, because um, even as you were saying, you know, the need for like the times are urgent, we must slow down. I was thinking, yes, and I sometimes work in spiritual spaces where I'm like, oh no, we actually have to speed up here. <laughs> we are going a little too slow, you know, um, and. So it really depends on, you know, who we are and, um, and who we're talking to. It depends on like, it, it depends on our ability to make our next right action at the next right speed depends on our ability to really know ourselves well and to listen to the reflections we're getting from the people we trust around us about, about, um, how we're showing up, you know, to listen to the universe in terms of what our impact is yeah. because, um, yeah, I feel like my my work primarily has been in like meditation and wellness and especially Buddhist communities and yoga communities. Although, you know, I've I've um I've always I've <laughs> I've looped in and out of um you know activism and direct action mm -hmm. and um, advocacy work. Um most of the time I end up supporting people who do that work when they can't go on anymore to like mm. restore and to find a new way to be in it sustainably. Um, and so I feel like the more that I learn about myself, I'm right. I think that's my, I think that's my right role in the revolution is like, um, like supporting, supporting leaders. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it depends, you know, I think that balance depends. Um, and it's probably messy too. <laughs> yeah. It's like both and sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was coming up for me super strong is just like, it depends on who we are and depends our, on our, our capacity to really notice and be honest about what we're noticing about, mm -hmm. you know, what's happening inside of us as we act, mm -hmm. what the response is in, um, you know, and I, I said, you know, listen to the universe earlier, but really like mm -hmm. how other people around us are responding to us, because I feel like there are, um, in relational encounters, all of these, like all this information, all this communication non-verbally, you know, about, um, you know, how we're showing up and how, how the people around us, whether they're friends or coworkers or family are being mm -hmm. impacted by our, our presence and what we're showing. And I know for me, like it, you know, it does take a certain amount of slowing down just to be able to, to see that and note that and to inquire like, wow, I see your eyebrows really raised and your head kind of fell back when I said that thing, like what's happening for you in that moment? You yeah. Know? Is, am I coming on too strong again? <laughs> you know, Or like, am I doing that thing? You know, that, that's the, I think the sweet spot when you get into friendships where you can just say, am I doing that thing? That thing? And they yeah. be like, yep. And you're like, okay, got it. <laughs> got it. <laughs> just give me that like code word or that symbol. <laughs> Just signal to me when I'm doing that thing. And oh my I know God, exactly I have... what you're talking about. And we can yeah, just exactly. begin again. And you know? I can love you in that, right? Like you do this thing. It drives me, you know, mad. And I love you in that mm -hmm. because yeah. of it. And I love the way you're trying to work with it. And I love, you know, 
and like, holy moly, so many things, you know, and things like we're aware of and working on and things that like, you know, I just, I can't even imagine how much I'm unconscious of, you know, that I, I still engage with and do and fall prey to and, um, yeah. and I'm grateful for, for friendships, people in my life who love me enough to reflect and mirror back to me when I'm, when I'm like not seeing or when I'm forgetting, right. Or when I'm out of alignment. Yeah, totally. And, and, and just to, to bring back the like balance word again, I think, um, there is, I know in my friendship with myself, like there has been a need for a balance of attention between the places that I need to grow and to celebrate the places where I'm actually yes. doing it, you know, cause that's there too. And I can, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's, this is a aspect of supremacy culture too, right. To not like, to, to never, never have what we're doing be good enough to not, you know, acknowledge the ways in which we're like growing and trying so hard and to only focus on the things that need to be changed or perfected. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, in writing this book, it was, there was definitely times where I was writing this book and I was like, am I an awful friend? Like, do I even have any friends? You know, like, it's just like, that, you know, inventory process is yeah. rough, you know? And then I think part of our inventory has to include, like, these are the ways that I have been generous. These are the ways that I have been mm. kind. These are the ways that I have been willing to like show up and learn from my mistakes. Um, and that, I think that the willingness to allow in our acknowledgement of those experiences is a part of navigating the path because it helps our hearts to stay buoyant, you know, otherwise it's just, it's just too hard. Mm. Thank you for saying that. I feel like that's like the forever reminder I need of like, Oh yeah. And you have to be friends with yourself too. Yeah. <laughs> like actually to be a good friend to other people, like you, you actually also have to be friend to yourself. Totally. I, well, I hadn't even thought about it exactly that way. And I think that's totally right. Um, usually people say you have to love yourself before you love other people, which I don't. I'm working on that. That's, that's hard. (laughs) It's like, whoa there, buddy. But, um, (laughs) you know, I do think like when it comes to, well, I think of love as like a, a state, like a divine state, you know, but I think of friendship as a series of activities and part of what, I think is so true about what you said with, you know, have to be friends with myself in order to be friends with someone else. If I'm not friends with myself and I'm trying to be friends with you, I will, I feel the relational missteps are so much more likely to occur because I'm not, I'm not showing up for myself. I'm not articulating my boundaries. I'm not, um, I'm telling the truth. I'm not showing up in my full presence. And then, and then ultimately I feel disappointed in this relationship when it doesn't feel like you really know me or you don't know yeah. what I need or, you know, like, so I think that that is that, that part of, you know, being friends to ourselves, um, it, it, it protects our relationships too from, yeah. um, hurting us without meaning to, because we didn't know who we were or what we wanted and what we needed. Um, my my last question for you is this quote that like I I took out and I wrote and I stuck it on a post-it <laughs> on my desk. There's a lot of those, by the way, in this amazing book. Um, and it is um, finding your people and finding your freedom are two parts of one and the same spiritual path. What did you mean by that? Can you read it to me again? <laughs> yeah. Finding your people... And finding your freedom are two parts of one and the same spiritual path. Bumper sticker. 
Um, well, part of what I meant by that is that the, when I think about specifically finding your freedom as it's articulated in the, the Buddha Dharma and and that articulation of the path to liberation, that spiritual friendship is not actually an optional part of that path. Like Sangha is not like a, like an add on, you know, or a, like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a foundational vehicle. It's a central vehicle, um, for liberation and, um, not in a way where like we're using people to get liberated, but that, um, Mm -hmm. from this, you know, the point of view of interdependence, it's like we, we all liberation can only happen together. Um, so that's one way, you know, another way is just what we've been talking about all along is that like in the process of relationship, we, there was a period of time in my life where I thought maybe a monastic path was the path for me. And I went on some really, really long retreats and I talked to a lot of monastics and I kind of tried to, as much as I could access that experience without ordaining fully. And finally came to this place where I thought like, actually know that the path of relationship is more difficult for me that I could probably like, that's where the good work is for me in this life. And that, um, I think all of us are different. The Buddha said there's 84,000 Dharma doors. So, you know, we we have plenty of opportunities and options for how we, how we become free. Um, But I think for some of us, you know, being with people and being in relationship is what allows our hearts and minds to grow um, is what inspires us to let go of what's between us and the like full expression of our, intrinsic luminosity and love and so I think there's sometimes where you know I've I've certainly said this before with regards to romantic relationships I think I've said this even before in relationship with uh when looking at trying to start or maintain a relationship with someone I really respect or care about this idea that I need to get myself together first and then I can be in a uh-huh. relationship with you. You know, like first I will fix myself completely and then I will present myself to you like holy healed and I'll you perform my again. relationship with you. Yeah. And that, you know, no, like it's like um it's like uh not one and then the other. It's both together, you know, friendship and freedom. I it's like tango. Yeah. How know. is it like tango? Like dancing, because you kind of have yes. to like move together as one unit, but you're doing different things and you're constantly locating yourself and you have to be responsive to the other person, but you can't force them to do what you, anyway, yeah. I don't know why that came up. I don't <laughs> dance tango, by the way. I just had this like beautiful image of you, like with like a, <laughs> a flower in your hair, like getting dipped on the dance floor. Um Tango's cool, but yeah, I mean, I think that, right, like the, the, the dance and the dynamism of it and mm-hmm. the, um, not the, the, the both of us togetherness of it. I think that that's right. Mm-hmm. And the joy of that, of like allowing something unexpected to emerge. Yeah. Maybe that's the, the that's why the dance metaphor felt so good, you know, it's maybe like the, the joy, the emergence of it, the like life affirming nature of it. Um, yeah. And I think especially in tango too, there's so much play, like the possibility for wonder and surprise, you know? Um, yeah. Yes. Kate, I, I'm so grateful for this book. 
for me personally, <laughs> but also for the movement and the world. And I'm just so grateful for our relationship and for the opportunity to get back in relationship and for all that I've learned and all the ways that I've healed and um, grown because um, of knowing you. So thank you. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, thank you too. While this podcast is coming to an end, our work in the world is just beginning. This week's call to action is an invitation to enter not only into radical friendship with others, but also with ourselves. Be sure to get the book at katejohnson.com, which features seven ways to love yourself and find your people in an unjust world. And you can follow Kate on Instagram at hellokatejohnson. Special shout out to DJ Drez for the amazing soundtrack. You can check out his music at djdrez.com. To our executive producer who puts it all together and makes it sound great, Trevor Exter. And to the amazing team at Citizen Well that is bringing our mission to life. And thank you all for being here today. You can stay in the know and engaged by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter, Well Read, at citizenwell.org. Citizen Podcast is community-inspired and crowdsourced. That's how we keep it real. Join our community on Patreon for as little as $2 per month so that we can keep doing the work of curating content that matters for citizens who care. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And share the love, y'all, by telling your friends to check us out. <laughs>